reading this morning is from Luke 17. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or your sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times they come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be planted in the ocean, and it will obey you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Stephen. He didn't introduce himself. That's Stephen Brown and Jr. there. <laughs> so appreciate him reading the scripture for us this morning. And... Um, Awesome work by our praise band, as always. They do an excellent job for us every Sunday. And we're so proud of all those who offer their ability and talents for our time of worship together. And again, as we have heard God's word now, let us seek its understanding for our life. That's really what we want to know is what this means for us and our lives today. So I want to invite you to join me as a prayer because we know that's the work of God's Holy Spirit in our lives. Let's pray together. God, we just yield ourselves now to the work of your Holy Spirit within us, opening our hearts and our minds, our very lives, to the power and the transformation and the change and the hope and the strength that your word gives us. God, I I ask that you enable me to proclaim your word in a way that glorifies you, God, you alone, and draws us all in a closer relationship with you. Hear our prayer, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, you know, when there's a subdivision going up and individual lots are being sold, oftentimes um, builders will try to spark a little excitement in the development by constructing some model homes for prospective buyers to come look at. It's their way of saying, say, see, this is what your home could be like. Um, This strategy of selling homes is much better than just putting up a pile of bricks out there with some concrete and some two-by-fours and saying, see, this is the material we're going to be using to build your home. Uh, It's a much better strategy. Um, It's the same way when you go to a furniture store. A lot of times you go into the furniture store, there's these sections in the store that they've uh, created like a bedroom suit or a living room suit complete with the flowers and the pictures and the, the lights and the lamps and everything that goes along with it. And when you, when you see that, the idea is to try to, um, to instigate your, your imagination of thinking about the possibilities. If you bought this piece of furniture, this is not just a sofa that you're going to buy at uh, low monthly payments we offer you. Uh, if this living room suit can transform your house into a home. Uh, I kind of like that idea, don't you? I mean, if I'm going to buy something, especially if it costs me a little money, more than a little money, I, I want to see it. I want to see it, what it looks like. I want to see it demonstrated and modeled. I, I want to see what it can do. And this is true in a lot of areas in life. It, it's also true when it comes to learning new things, whether it's learning the proper technique for swinging a bat or learning the, um, how to play a C-sharp minor or C-sharp C minor chord on a guitar or something. It's, it's uh, the best way to learn how to do something is by seeing it done, right? That's the power of modeling. 
that's the power of having an example to follow. And you're not just hearing about it, you're actually seeing it. And that's really what we want to talk about this morning in our sermon, about being the kind of example or model that others can follow when it comes to living out our faith. Today we're wrapping up our series, It Only Takes a Spark. By, uh, we've been talking in this series about how we can uh, take the kind of actions that can ignite the uh, spark of goodness in those around us and how we might inspire others to follow our example of uh, being kind and understanding and all these things. Uh, if, if we want to create a better world to live in, if we want to, to bring about a, better, a positive difference in the lives of those around us, then we have to remember that it begins with us. It begins with that spark of a word or an action that we create that can be passed on to others. And over the last four weeks, we've been talking about several ideas of different sparks that we can create, ignite. And one of them is the spark of forgiveness. We can choose to forgive others because we have been forgiven by God's grace and mercy. And we talked about the spark of understanding. Rather than judging others or condemning others, we seek to see the world through their eyes. And we seek to always try to see that other person in the best possible light, understanding them. Uh, we talked about the spark of kindness that we could ignite with others. Because the truth is we don't live in a very kind world today. And as Christians, we are called to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. It means not only wanting the best for others in every circumstance, it is to try to give the best of ourselves to others as well. Last week, we talked about the spark of generosity. And um, uh, you know, the world around us changes when we become givers instead of takers. We talked about the law of the harvest and how really it all begins with us and it comes back to us according to the standard we set for ourselves. Because as Jesus said, the measure you give will be the measure you get back. This series has been really about how we need to be willing to take the first step toward uh, making any situation around us better. That's how you ignite the spark. That's how you pass it on. Uh, you get it started by igniting things like the spark of forgiveness, the spark of understanding, the spark of kindness, the spark of generosity. It's up to us to do that. These four, first four steps, I think, could best be summarized with the statement, I won't just tell you how things can be better. I will show you how things can be better. I'm not just going to talk about these ideas in lofty terms. I'm going to give you an example to follow, to see it demonstrated. This is how we can be that spirit that changes the world around us, how we can uh, inspire others, even guide others by our example. And, you know, today we live in a world where opinions are everywhere and where pundits have an infinite number of of platforms to pontificate their ideas and stuff. But there remains a shortage today of those who are genuinely willing to do more than just talk the talk. There remains a shortage among those who are genuinely willing to walk the walk. In his song, Slow Train Coming, Bob Dylan once sang, you talk about a life of brotherly love. Show me someone who knows how to live it. That's our challenge, isn't it? It is to model these values that we value in life. 
Another way to talk about it is we need to practice what we preach. We've all heard that. And so today I want to talk about how we are called to set an example for those who are most in need of an example, of seeing it. And these are the kind of people that may be um, weaker in their faith around you. These may be uh, those who you know that are really in need of a ray of hope, a better life than the one that they're living. Jesus calls us to be that spark that could bring change to people's lives. And the way that we do that is by coming, becoming the living, breathing example of the life we are called to live. Uh, we become that showroom model, if you will, that demonstrates how God calls us to live with one another. After all, isn't that what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? As Christians, we are called to hold ourselves to a higher standard of life. Uh, we are called to hold ourselves to that standard of holiness that is established by Jesus Christ. Uh, not in a prideful or showy way, but in a very humble way for those who are most vulnerable around us to be able to see it, to learn about it. And today in our text, I think Jesus gives us three different areas that we can live up to that higher standard and to be that example. The first one is that we need to model a higher standard of influence, of influence. Throughout this series, we've been talking about how you can be a positive influence in the lives of other people. And um, yet Jesus in this passage warns us how we need to avoid the negative uh, aspect of influence. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Jesus seemed to be saying here is that if, if, if you give someone the idea that it's okay, either through your words or through your actions, that it's okay to sin in one area or another, then you need to realize you are placing yourself in serious spiritual territory. Because we need to be very careful about the influence that we have upon others. How many times have you heard somebody say the words, well, if he can do it and get away with it, why can't I? <laughs> or I can too, right? Uh, that, that's some, that line of reasoning goes all the way back to grade school. We saw it in grade school. We even see it here in the preschool and little school. Little Johnny can do it. I can do it too, right? Uh, people have this tendency to take their behavioral cues from other people, don't they? Of course, it goes without saying that it's a foolish thing to... Um, to, to follow the bad influence or the bad example of other people, and yet we see people doing it all the time. Uh, however, in this context for today's message, I want you to think not just about the influence that others might have upon you, but I want you to really think about the influence that your actions have upon others. Believe it or not, like it or not, there are people who are watching you. Uh, as I said, uh, in many ways, they're taking their cues from you, especially if you're a parent. I think many of us remember that song by Rodney Atkins, uh, I Want to Be Like You, Dad. <laughs> you know? If you're a parent, they're taking their cues from you. They're taking their cues from you as a grandparent. Uh, if you're an older brother, an older sister, you have that influence over your siblings. But it goes beyond your family. It, it, it goes into the relationships we have with our coworkers. Uh, with our friends, our neighbors, um, even those we go to church with. 
and on and on the list goes, your behavior inevitably will influence the behavior of other people. There will always be people who see what you do as permission to do the same. Take, for example, someone who's slacking off at work and giving the boss less than a full day of work and still getting paid for full days of work. I mean, that's bad enough in itself because uh, they're actually stealing from their employer. But it gets even worse when other workers see it happening and they follow their lead. Well, if they can cut corners and get away with it, why can't I? There will always be people who see what you do as permission to do the same. I know of a man who, in his 20s, he finally discovered that throwing a temper tantrum was not okay. (laughs) Uh, He discovered that throwing things and breaking things and yelling and slamming down things in order to win an argument was not really the right thing to do. But the problem is he grew up with that example, and his dad, he saw it all of his life. So he just grew up thinking that's the norm. That's what you're supposed to do. A lot of people today have the attitude that, you know, it's not wrong if I do it. But it is wrong if somebody else does it. <laughs> you know that line of thinking? It's okay if I do it, but it's, it's wrong if other people do it. Can you guess who does not buy that argument? Jesus doesn't buy that argument. Uh, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, Jesus says, but woe to anyone through whom they come. And then in order to let us realize just how serious he is about this, he goes on to say it would be better for them to be thrown in the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So instead of thinking, you know, it's not wrong if I do it, as Christians, we'd be better off saying, it's actually worse if I do it. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm supposed to be held to a higher standard. And then he ends this warning with this little phrase, so watch yourselves. That's something we need to remember. We need to watch ourselves because others are watching us. I think that's the first place that Jesus is pointing out how we need to to look at this passage. The second thing I think he's giving us is a model for a higher standard of reconciliation. Uh, Let's look at these next next verse here. I want to verses three and four. I want to break them down a little bit so we can really understand this. In verses three and four, he says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent... Forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, Jesus is talking about the process of restoration and reconciliation here. Um, In verse 1, he says, It is inevitable that offenses come. And when you are on the receiving end of such offenses, what you are supposed to do is to go to that person one-on-one and address the situation. It says you are to rebuke them in an effort to bring reconciliation and restoration to the relationship and to the one who has done the wrong. And Jesus divides this process of, of reconciliation into three phases. And I want to look at this for her. In verse 3, he says, If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And most of us will say, Okay, I can do that. <laughs> and I don't have a problem with that at all. <laughs> and in fact, I don't, I don't mind being the one who, you know, points out the faults and mistakes of other people and sets them right. 
I can do that with pleasure. <laughs> you know, we all know people like that who they just love doing that kind of stuff. But then Jesus goes on to say, if they repent, forgive them. And we say, okay, I might can do that, depending on the severity of the situation. I might can do that. And if they apologize first and they say they're sorry, then, then I, I, can, I guess I can forgive them if it's essential that I do. The point is, rebuking others is not so difficult. <laughs> it's the forgiving others that's the difficult part, right? But then listen to what Jesus says next. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, this is where most of us say, you know, you lost me there, Jesus. <laughs> and I, I was okay up to the point about forgiving them maybe once after they, for, after they said they're sorry. Um, but this idea of seven times in a day, that's a little over the top, Jesus. You don't know, do you sure that's what you meant? Um, burn me once and shame on you. Burn me twice and shame on me. We're all familiar with that, right? <laughs> Most people are not willing to be held to that standard of mercy. They'll forgive you once, maybe. Maybe even twice, if there's been enough time between the previous offense. But seven times in a single day? Come on. Who does that? But let me tell you a little secret when it comes to this process of reconciliation and restoration. Rarely is it ever a one, two-step process. Most times, it's like a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and on and on proper process. If we're really going to deal with this. The truth is, if you're only willing to extend to other people a single second chance, then you're probably not going to have much success at relationships. And you won't have much success when it comes to helping others experience the kind of growth that comes about through this process of restoration. Now, does that mean that we let other people just walk all over us because they know that we're going to let everything go and keep forgiving them? Not at all. That's not what Jesus says here. Because each time that it happens, you're to take them back to step one, where Jesus says to rebuke the one who sins against you. Now, let's be clear what he's talking about here when he says rebuke. Rebuke is not to yell at them. To rebuke them is not to insult them or to ridicule them. Uh, rebuking, most importantly, doesn't mean that we position ourselves to being somehow superior to them or demeaning to them. To rebuke in this context means that the goal of this process of restoration is just that, is, is to lead the relationship to restoration, reconciliation, and healing. That's the, that's the reason why we rebuke them. It's because we're, our goal is toward reconciliation and restoration. And so you once again say to them, let's talk about what has happened. Uh, let's try to establish the boundaries once again. Let's try to uh, agree upon how we're going to hold you accountable to these actions. Because what we're after here is trying to create a relationship that God would want us to have with one another. That gives you the opportunity to demonstrate forgiveness, to demonstrate mercy, uh, what rec reconciliation really looks like, what restoration looks like. And in so doing, you give them an example to follow in their dealings with others. So 
when you're truly committed to restoring relationships with other people, you have to be willing to be in it for the long haul. Because it rarely happens that someone is just going to fix everything and make our, never make another mistake in one or two tries. Reconciliation and restoration is a process that we have to be willing to be committed to. And such a level of commitment to the restoration of other people is a rare thing, isn't it? In fact, can you think of anybody that does that? I can. Because he's done it for me more times than I can count. And of course, I'm talking about Jesus. If you know Jesus, you know that kind of restoration, that kind of forgiveness and mercy and kindness and grace. But here's the thing. Jesus wants us to demonstrate that with others. Uh, He wants us, even with the most broken and the most um, failure-prone people that we know, he wants us to demonstrate that same kind of forgiveness and mercy and grace to them. He wants you to show them that restoration is really something that can happen. It can become a reality. And we're going to be committed to sticking with them through that process of making it so. When you show such a demonstration for the reconciliation to other people as this, you ignite that spark of hope in those who need it the most. Now, I've said that, but I want you to understand that God doesn't expect us to be a doormat or to be abused. If you read Matthew chapter 18, you see there is a limit to this process of restoration, but only after we've tried all of these other steps first. Now, in the next verse, Jesus challenges us to another standard of how we can model a higher standard of faith-filled living. I find it really interesting that after Jesus told the disciples this is how they are to forgive others, their response was, oh, Lord, give me more faith. I need more faith. Increase our faith, they said. And they said that because I think they, they thought that it must take an enormous amount of faith to be able to forgive like you're talking about. And they were probably feeling like many of us do. I'm not sure I have that much faith, Lord. But here's what Jesus said in response. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, I want to lift up two details that I think we find in this passage here, this verse. One, that um, when he refers to the seed of, the mustard seed of faith, what I think he's really saying is that uh, we don't need more faith. You just need to use the faith that you have. It's not that we don't have enough faith. Just use the faith you have. The second detail I want to point out is he says, if you have even the smallest amount of faith, you can say to this mulberry tree, be planted in the sea and it will obey you. And I think what is significant here is that he's saying that the demonstration of our faith begins with our words. It doesn't begin, I mean, it's not about thinking it. It's not about wishing it. It's about speaking it. That's where it begins. That's that first step of faith. Just as you would, if if you were to speak a negative word into a situation, it brings depression and hopelessness. When we speak words of faith, we bring hope and possibility into the situation. When you speak words of faith in any context, you're putting the world on notice that this problem is not as insurmountable as it may seem. This situation 
is not as hopeless as it seems because God can and God is going to do something great here. I can see it. Even if I can't, I'm going to trust it that he can. I mean, for Jesus, I think that's the kind of example that he's asking us to, to live out before others and to model before others. And just take a moment to think about how speaking words of faith into people's lives could influence those people that are around you. Imagine the difference it could make uh, if, if we made it the point to only speak words of faith to those people who are watching us and who are listening to us. There would be no leading them astray, as Jesus warned. There would be no causing them to stumble, as he warns us. Instead, our words of faith would inspire them to follow our example, to have hope. When you're dealing with conflict in a relationship and you find yourself needing to correct someone who has stumbled along the way, or maybe you're needing to forgive someone again, (laughs) imagine how it would be if you would say to them, you know what, you're going to make it through this. You're going to be able to get up on your feet and eventually you're going to be able to stay on your feet because I am committed to working with you, to standing by you because I believe and I know that you are on the path to victory. Can you imagine how powerful those words could be? Think of the most disappointing person that you know of, the person who seems to make mistakes over and over again. They know that that you're disappointed in them. They know that they don't measure up. But think of how, what it would mean to them to hear you say to them, you know what? That mulberry tree is about to be cast into the sea because God, I believe, is going to be doing something great in your life. Can you imagine the difference that that would make as opposed to hearing them say, well, I'll forgive you this time, but don't count on it again. When Jesus says that our words of faith could move the mulberry tree into the sea, I don't think he's just talking about your mulberry tree or whatever it is you're dealing with. I think he's talking also about the mulberry trees of other people too. Your words of faith in the lives of others can have a huge impact. So let us never miss the opportunity to speak words of faith into the lives of those around us. Creating a spark of lasting change in the lives of others requires more of us than just merely saying, have a good day and hope everything goes well. It requires being committed to stick by them for the long haul, to stick to the process. Um, It is a commitment that is trying to give the same example, the same mercy, the same kind of, of love that we experience and have known in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing. Most people know that God loves everybody. At least they've heard that somewhere. They know that God forgives us of our sins. They've heard about that at church. They've maybe read it in the Bible or somebody told them that and saw it on Facebook or something. But have they ever seen it? Have they seen it demonstrated before them? Have they seen someone who is fully committed to demonstrating and speaking words of faith and showing them what forgiveness really looks like and what mercy really looks like? Have they seen it modeled in such a way that they know it's possible? It's actually real.
that's the challenge I think we have in this life. Because there are many people around you who are desperate to see that. And when they do, it ignites a spark within them that can change everything in their life. It can lead toward reconciliation, toward restoration. It can lead toward a greater level of spiritual obedience. It can lead toward a deeper presence of faith. So what I'm asking you to do today is to be the example that others need to see. That's what Jesus asked of us, to be the example that others need to see. Show them what spiritual obedience looks like. Show them what forgiveness looks like. Show them what mercy looks like. Show them what faith looks like. Your example has the power to ignite a spark in the lives of others that can change their entire world and change the world around you as well. So let us be that spark. Because remember, all it takes is just a tiny spark to get a fire going. Let's pray together. Lord God, you have called us to follow you and to be your example to the world, to be that light that others can find hope in their darkness. And you live before us the way, the truth, and the life for us to follow. So God, it's not a matter that we don't know how. It's a matter oftentimes that we have failed. We've gotten wrapped up in our own self. We, we see the world around us, and sometimes we doubt that your way is, is the right way even. And yet you call us, God, that we want a better world. We want people's lives to be changed in a positive way. It all begins with a spark of our words, our actions. So God, convict us of those areas where we fail and need to change. Help us to go forth in this place um, passionate about being that spark that can impact the lives of those around us and thus change the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.